Lord, we're your kingdom people, and you've called us to do kingdom stuff, to build the kingdom, to do kingdom warfare. And most people, Lord, I'm aware, are, are, are not aware of that. And they don't even know what, what life's really about. And many believers even, Lord, don't know what it's about. God, I pray this morning that your word would be empowered with your spirit. Not with my, my thoughts, Lord, not with my energy, but, Lord God, with the spirit of God. And Lord, even as I'm talking about spiritual warfare, I'm aware that this makes the enemy infuriated. And Lord, that anything he could use against us, he would use. And so Lord, right now, and saints of God, I'm calling on you to do this as well. Lord, I, we bind together to take all the authority that you have laid aside for prayer. And it is a powerful authority, a history-changing authority. And Lord, we now cash it in to come against the enemy and to proclaim this as kingdom territory. Amen. And to proclaim every heart that's here as kingdom hearts. Lord, even those who don't know you here, Lord, and there are some here who, who have not yet entered into a relationship with you, Lord, I want to proclaim them as kingdom hearts, Lord, ahead of time, that by the end of this service, Lord God, they become kingdom hearts. Lord God, and let your spirit be flowing over this place, Lord God, and be doing warfare for us, Lord God. Be extinguishing the arrows of the enemy, Lord God. And let your word of God go forth boldly, Lord. God, give me the courage to say what needs to be said, Lord God, and give a divine energy, Lord God. And help me to speak as the oracles of God with a divine anointing. And Lord, give us ears to hear. And be doing warfare, Lord God, to get aside anything that might clog our hearing and distract us and dissuade us and discourage us in Jesus' name. Lord God, be our warrior. We go forth. Hallelujah. Lord God, and, and, and any distraction that's here, Lord, just let it be done. Amen. Lord God, free your people here this morning. Free them. Free us. Free me, Lord. Let this be a freeing message. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. That felt good. That felt good. That felt good. Turn to your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Yeah, could I get uh, that stuff? Ephesians chapter 6. We're continuing our, our thanks, Norm, our series on, on warfare. And um, I got to tell you that this has just been for me uh, an eye opening learning time. Um, the problem I've always had with this, this thing is this is that when I go to. When I go to prepare a word, you know, and I, I start getting this text, this stuff is so alive, it like crawls for me. And I don't, it's like, it's, I have trouble zeroing in on what I want to say because there's so much here. Every time I go to it, it's like, uh, it's got some other angle on it or some other kind of anointing. And I haven't in, in four weeks preached a sermon that I've actually finished because um, it's just, it, it, it gets going. But that's a good problem to have. I mean, that, that, that's great. Lord, just keep pouring it on. But it's been exciting for me. And what I've, what I've seen is this. God is cutting some people loose. Um, and uh, it, it is just tremendous. Um, there are some, last Sunday night we had a prayer meeting that was just in, in some other orbit, I guess. And... and uh, and, and the expression we use with regard to some of the things that God's doing with some people is that they become Roman candles. I mean, they're just out there. They're just burning. They're sold out. 
they're, they're emptying their pockets. They're going for broke. And uh, seeing that kind of stuff happen is so exciting. Turning kingdom sitters and observers into kingdom warriors, and that's what it's about. And that's what I pray God will be doing here this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll start with verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now sometimes it looks like that, and we do struggle in flesh and blood. Sometimes it looks like it's about the technology that we're dealing with here. Sometimes it looks like it's about a song we're singing. Sometimes it looks like it's about uh, a disagreement in a marriage. But it's in that, but it's not against that. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Here's what it's against. Most people don't know this, but you do. It's against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's it, folks. Therefore, because we know who our enemy is, in the light of that, here's what we need to do. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then this one. I'm biting at the bit to get down here. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the saints. Amen. Lord, let your spirit rest here. There's two things you've got to know about each of the pieces of clothing that we're talking about in the study in the book of Ephesians. Two things. One is that they all serve a purpose with regard to covering our body and protecting our body. The other is that they all serve a purpose in extinguishing a certain kind of attack from the enemy. We talked about the last couple of weeks, truth the belt of truth. And I just noticed it this last week that Paul doesn't say put on the belt of truth. He says buckle the belt of truth. And the word there literally means to squeeze. He says tighten that thing. Ever get your belt too tight? Or maybe you put it on and it wasn't that tight and then you had supper and it became too tight? It, it, it's there. It's squeezed around you. You're aware of it. It's easy for me to do these days. I put on about 25 pounds. My wife keeps reminding me in the last a half a year or so, but praise God, there's more of me to hug. So he, put on your belt. In fact, last week she tells me that my, my, my pants were too tight. Were they really? And I had a piece of toilet paper hanging out of my pocket. The whole, the whole it wasn't, well, that was the first service. I was like, I don't know these things. But my, my, my pants, I guess, were too tight, so there you go. I only have a couple pairs that fit. Why am I telling you this? I don't know. Oh, it has to do with the belt. You're wearing your belt when it's too tight, right? Right, you know that. You're wearing this belt when it's too tight. Paul says, take the belt of truth and, and put it around you. Now, it serves a purpose in covering your body. We've seen the last couple of weeks that the purpose it serves is it pulls the toga together. It wraps everything else that you're about, it wraps it together, it keeps it in place, and it allows you to fight effectively. That's the role it plays. So what Paul is saying there is this. Take the truth, which we've seen the last couple of weeks means aletheia, openness, honesty, and wrap your life around with that. Let that hold your life together. A commitment to be ruthlessly honest with God, ruthlessly honest with yourself, ruthlessly honest before each other. Wrap that around your life and hang the sword of the Word of God on that because that's part of what the belt's for. It holds the Word of God. 
You hang the word of God on anything else, and you're going to get all royally screwed up. We've got to live with one agenda, and the agenda is reality. What is real? We don't need more pomp. We don't need more pomp and circumstance. We don't need more religion. What we need is honesty, truth. And to live our life with a gut-level honesty before God, before ourselves, and before other people. And to hang the word of God on that, on what is real, on what is true. And then to have a commitment to believe only in the true God, which is proclaimed in Jesus Christ, no other God. And to believe what, that what the Bible says about you is true, and not believing what every Tom, Dick, and Harry that you ever heard said about you is true. You, you hold to the word of God. That's the foundation of everything else. That's the belt that holds it all together. You lose your belt, and you're going to be flopping in the wind, tripping over your own armor. So it serves a purpose in holding the body together, but it also serves a very important purpose in extinguishing a certain kind of attack by the enemy. This is a foundational attack. It's deception. The enemy is the deceiver. In the Garden of Eden, he was the deceiver. And the enemy comes in, and he tries to get us to enter into deceit, into dishonesty. He tries to get us to believe a lie. He tries to get us to hide what is real with our religion. He tries to get us to hide what is real with our smile, with our I'm doing fine, with our isn't my life wonderful ambiance. He tries to hide what is real, and he gets us to think that that's a religious thing, that that's a good thing, that that's a godly thing. When, in fact, it's a rot out of the pit of hell. But he gets us to believe that. Wearing the belt of truth extinguishes that. And then he tries to lie to us about who God is, and he tries to lie to us about who we are. If you are wearing the belt of truth, if that is there, if it's on tight, if you're aware of it, if you put it on every morning, you're not going to be susceptible to that kind of attack. It holds our life together and it extinguishes a certain kind of arrow from the enemy. The breastplate of truth, which is what I want to talk about this morning, does exactly the same thing. The same kind of thing, but in a different way. The breastplate of truth. The breastplate was what a warrior put on before they went into battle. Usually it was made out of metal, iron of some sort. If you were a poor barbarian who was just sort of enlisted in the army but wasn't, you, you were conscripted and you weren't really hired by the army, you, you, you had to come up with your own shield. And a lot of times they'd take a little horse hoofs and they'd string them together and that'd be their, their armor. Kind of looked bad, but it would get the job done. And, 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 and here's what it did. The armor protected your vital organs. You had to have the most sturdy stuff around your body because if an arrow got your leg, that's bad, that's, that's one thing, but you're not going to die. But if an arrow gets your heart, you're a goner. You need something that will protect your vital organs. Something that won't keep you from bleeding to death. And what that, what, what that does is it allows you to not just be on the defensive, but to be on the offensive. If you go into battle and you do not have an armor on, you've got to always be worried about protecting your vital organs. You've got to be worried about, is, a, is an arrow going to get to my heart or my liver, my kidney or whatnot? So you've got to work in a defensive posture, and you can't go hog wild on your enemy because you've got to be worried about an arrow getting your, your vital organs. But if you've got your breastplate of truth, well, then you can jump hog wild into battle and not worry about that because though you may get wounded, it's not going to be fatal. You see what I'm saying? You see, a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians live their whole life in the defensive just trying to maintain, trying to keep the status quo, just trying to get by. And they never think about going out of their way to find the pit of hell, which is what the Bible says we're supposed to be doing. Uh, Matthew 16 says we're supposed to be storming the gates of hell. We're supposed to be looking for hell. We're supposed to be hell raisers, folks. We're supposed to be looking for the enemy to flush him out and vanquish him. 
But if we're worried about our vital organs, we live our life kind of in the, in the, in the defensive. I hope the devil doesn't get me. I hope he doesn't get me. Like, yeah, see? We've got to learn about this breastplate. The breastplate is there to cover our vital organs. But it's called a breastplate of righteousness. Now, follow me on this for a very important reason. The belt of truth fights off untruth. The belt of righteousness, or the, the breastplate of righteousness, fights off unrighteousness. It fights off a particular, very heinous, and often fatal attack of the enemy, which is the accusation of unrighteousness. And some of you, what I'm going to say now is going to be Christianity 101. You've heard it before. Hear it again, because God can hear, have you hear it a new time, a new way, and, and apply it to your life in a different way. For some of you, this is going to be new. But here's the thing. The devil, from beginning to end in Scripture, is called the accuser. He's portrayed as the one who attacks the children of God with accusations. In Revelations chapter 14, or no, chapter 12, verse 10, he's called the, the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of the brethren, the one who goes around trying to accuse the brethren of unrighteousness, of all sorts of garbage. You find him in the book of Job, way back in Job, chapter 1 and chapter 2, accusing Job before God in the heavenly realms. He goes up there and he starts throwing accusations all around. He accused God of running the universe poorly. This guy's got some ufta. He accused Joshua uh, in the book of Zechariah, chapter 3. He's the accuser. What he loves to do, what he specializes in, specializes in doing, what he's good at doing, is taking garbage and and, and, and putting them into flaming arrows, in, in Ephesians 6 it says that they're flaming arrows, and shooting them at us. Unrighteous accusations, condemnations, degradations to destroy us, to decay us, to erode us, to bring us down. You see, the enemy knows one thing that is true, and that what we got to know, and that is this, that we are fallen creatures in a fallen world, and the standard of righteousness that we're talking about here when we talk about a breastplate of righteousness is God Almighty. And he knows that we on our own are not compatible with an all-holy God who cannot compromise his character to relate to us. And so what the enemy tries to do is to put into our mind that awareness, to bring to our, our, our consciousness, if you will, the awareness that we on our own can't get ourselves compatible with God, which is true. But then he tries to do this. He tries to drive a wedge, an ironclad steel wedge between us and God with that awareness. He lies to us about the grace of God. He gets us to think that we're on our own in terms of trying to make ourselves compatible with God. And he uses that to bring us down, to bring accusations and condemnations in our life to destroy us. To make us feel God forsaken. To make us believe that we cannot be what the Bible says we in fact are. You follow me on this? Now this is not conviction. We talked last week about the difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is a God thing. Condemnation is a devil thing. Conviction is about what you do. Condemnation is about who you are. Conviction is the Lord in his loving, gentle way saying, Greg, because you're my child and because I've made you holy and righteous, this behavior or this attitude is not consistent with that. Therefore, I want to change this attitude and behavior and so the Lord brings a pain in my heart. It's a healthy pain. It's the pain of a healthy soul for whom something is going wrong. That's a God thing. It's about my attitudes. It's about my behavior. The enemy, it's not about your behavior. It's not about an attitude. It's about who you are. And maybe he'll, he'll capitalize on, 
as something you did as an occasion to condemn you, but condemnation is a you thing. God maybe will say what you did was unloving. The enemy says you are unloving. Because you're unloving, you're unlovable. And you know that God couldn't love you. And then he will point to your unloving behavior as evidence of that. God might say, that was a worthless thing that you did. Come on, Greg, get with the program here. But the enemy says, you are worthless. God maybe will say that what you did or what you thought or, or the lifestyle that you're in is unholy, and, and, and he'll convict you of it to move you out of that because he's so graceful and loving, he doesn't want you to go on in your sin. He'll do that. That's conviction. That's a God thing. It always builds you up. It always restores you. But the enemy... The enemy, he turns it into a you thing. It's about who you are. You are worthless. You are unholy. You are unlovable. And that doesn't build you up, but it tears you down. It tears you down. It, it brings defeat. It brings discouragement. Conviction is always something about which you can do something. God wants to convict you of a sin in your life in order that you'll learn from it, in order that, in, in order that you'll repent of it, and then be done with it. You change and you move on. That's what the word repent means. The enemy, well, he usually brings up stuff you can't do a thing about. Isn't that right? Oh, 10 years ago, all of a sudden out of nowhere, you have one of these times, all of a sudden, boom, hits you right there. 10 years ago, you know what you said 10 years ago? Do you remember what you did? And see, what he's got, there's a sword, and he goes, zoop, and he starts to turn it. Ah, yeah. Think of the thing that you did to your kid. You know, uh, uh, nothing you can do about that. Now, that was 10 years ago, but there it is. He reminds you. To change? No, he doesn't want you to change. He just wants to torment you. The divorce that you went through, the pregnancy that you had, the affair that you had, the, the poor decisions that you made, the way you hurt somebody, or I don't know what he's going to remind you of, but he brings up stuff that you cannot change. He doesn't want you to change. He just dags you with it. And see, when he dags you, here's the thing. This is why it's called the breastplate of righteousness. It's because it's protecting our vital organs. And when the enemy throws one of those arrows at us, it hits the vital organs of the soul. When a believer is under condemnation, you are in danger of being mortally wounded. You, you, this isn't a little flesh wound, a mere flesh wound. No, no, this is stuff that makes you bleed. Mere flesh wound. And when you're under this, you guys, when the enemy gets in on, on, on accusation and condemnation, you start to bleed. And when you're starting to bleed, it's very hard, it's very hard to be effective in carrying out any kind of warfare. When your heart is pierced, it's going to be really hard to start running into battle. You know what? Because you're bleeding all over the place. The enemy, it gets to the core of who we are. It's about who we are. And so the enemy strikes there. And when a believer is under condemnation, it's very hard, for example to be moving in God's peace, you're bleeding out God's peace. You're, you're, you're spiritually wounded. When you're under accusation, when you're under condemnation, it's very hard to be walking in God's joy. You're bleeding out God's joy. You're, you're spiritually, mortally wounded. It's very hard to walk in the power of God when you're under condemnation. Christians who are under condemnation don't walk in the power of God. They're bleeding out the power of God. They don't walk in the life of God. They don't walk in the character of God. They're bleeding all over the place. There's this condemnation, this heaviness that's there. And sometimes they don't even know that it's condemnation. Sometimes there's just this, come on, you, you know what I'm talking about, a lot of you do. There's just this sense, I, I, I've, I've struggled with this all my Christian life, just a way, vague, bad aroma about things. You know, it's like, ah, I, I just don't feel like I belong. I feel like I'm out of place. I, I just, 
you know, um, I, I'm just not in sync. Uh, I, these other people are all so holy. I look out, all you guys are so holy, but I know that I'm not there, you know. And, 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 and you got your act together, but I don't. And, and, and you, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's just this weird sense. The good news applies to everybody else, but it doesn't apply to me. Yeah, yeah, that's true for other people. It can't possibly be true of me. That's condemnation. And when you're under condemnation, it, it, it's gotten into your chest. It's about who you are, and it eats and eats and eats. And it's very hard. You can try to do a bunch of stuff to get out of it, but it won't do any good because this, is, this has gotten to your, your vital organ. Your spiritual liver has just gotten pierced. All right? Christians who are, who are, are under condemnation have a hard time praying. Many times they resent God uh, because his voice, you see this voice that they got, they think that that's God. And, 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 and they think God's the one who's, who's saying you're worthless, you're no good, da-da-da-da-da. And it's very hard to be passionately in love with somebody who's constantly saying you're worthless. I don't know if you found that out or not, but it's very hard to be passionate about that. And they think God's doing it. They never say that. They'll say I'm in love with God because that's the kosher thing to say. That's the pious thing to say. That's the biblical thing to say. But in their heart of hearts, they begin to resent God. Because you're feeling so miserable. God turns into the cosmic, miserable maker. And you're supposed to just love and worship him and feel happy and want to dance before him, but you don't because he's making you miserable. And then some people spiritualize that. They go, oh, yeah, I mean, like, it's holy to be miserable. I'm such a worm. It's true, I, I'm so lonely and lonely and sinful and bad. I'm bad, 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 bad. You know, and they think they're holy for that. And that is the enemy getting in there. People who are under condemnation have trouble praising God. In fact, I, I want to I take a little interlude here and say this about praise. I think this is going to land, too. I talked to somebody two weeks ago who, who said this. I, I, when I come into to praise and worship, I have trouble praising and worship because I look at the excitement around me and all the people getting into it around me, and, I, I, I know, and they're, they're, they're closing their eyes, they're raising their hands, they're stomping their feet, and they're just singing, and they're just... You know, they're so poured out. And I want that. I really feel like I need that. It, it's, it's, it's something I would like to have. But I look around and I see them lifting their hands because they love Jesus so much. And they're lifting their hands because they're so joyful. And they're dancing their feet because they're so close to God. And, 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 and they're just pouring their whole being into worship because they've overcome and conquered the struggles in their life. So they have a right to do that. This is what the person was saying. But when I start to do that, I feel like such a hypocrite. Because I don't feel this great joy and I don't feel this great love all the time, not even usually. And I'm going through a divorce right now and my life right now really sucks. And so when I start to try to worship God, I feel condemned. I just feel like I'm not supposed to do that. I feel like a hypocrite. I can't be like all these other people. And this person was even going to leave and go to a dead church on purpose so they wouldn't feel uncomfortable. And he thought it was God. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Listen to this. The enemy, that's one of the, this is one of the main things, and I'm good at this one, folks. This is something I really know a lot about. I specialize in this one. The enemy tries to make you feel hypocritical, try to drive that wedge in there, trying to drive that wedge in there so that you don't begin to praise God, so that you don't begin to pray passionately, so that you don't take off in your Christian life because he knows that if you start to do that stuff, you're going to plug up the wound that he's using to bleed your life with. When, you begin, when people, when we, all right, I'll speak on behalf of all of us, when we worship God, when you raise your hands, we're not expressing how close we feel to God. We're not expressing how free our life is from, 
from worries and struggles. We're not expressing how great right now at 10 o'clock in the morning we feel. We're not expressing how holy we are. And when we dance our feet and when we close our eyes and when we sing with every ounce of energy that we have, we're not saying how great our marriages are and how worthy we are and how we have arrived. We're not saying anything about us. What we're saying is God is bigger than all the other things that are going on in our life. It's not about how you feel. It's not about what's going on. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. This is, you guys, this is so freeing if you just get to This is so freeing. Because the enemy, you know, I, I, I've been times when I had to get up here and preach and I just had a fight with my wife, you know, and, and, and it's like, I, the enemies just start going, how dare you, do, 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 do. And you just want to go, shut the, shut up, you know. <laughs> But he gets in there, how, you know, how, did you, 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 how can you do that? Da, 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 da. This, is, this, this, this cosmic loser that we're talking about, he tempts you to sin, and when you sin, he jumps all over you. <laughs> I told you. This is terrible. You're the one who made me do it. Or talked me into doing it. And then he jumps all over you. And he tries to make you feel like a hypocrite, like you're out of place. You guys, what is freeing is when you realize this, that worship, it's not about you, it's about God. And you raise your hands, not because you feel like it, not because, uh, you know, you've arrived, not because you're special, not because there's such a supernatural move of God right this very minute that you can't help yourself. <laughs> that hardly ever, ever happens. You do it because it's biblical to do it, because God says to do it, because you want to pour your whole being, your mind, your body, your soul, and yes, even your body into worshiping God, because that says that, God, you are worth more than life itself. You're bigger than my marriage problems. You're bigger than my struggles. You're bigger than my physical problems. And I choose, despite how miserable I feel, despite all the enemies on my back, I choose to lift you up and to glorify you. And I am not going to let the enemy do otherwise or make me do otherwise. I'm going to glorify you. And that is so freeing. That is so freeing. It's not about that. Enter into worship. I don't care what's been going on in your life. Because what will give you power to get out of that is worshiping God ahead of time. Don't wait till you feel like it. Oh, the enemy's got you if you're doing that stuff. Okay, where was I? All right, you're bleeding to death. It's kind of, you guys, it's this vague. <laughs> when we last left off, you were all bleeding to death profusely. It hits, it hits your spiritual vital organs. And you bleed and you bleed and you bleed. The accusation of the enemy. Now, what do you do about that? This is going to be complex and theologically deep, so take notes. Nothing. If you try to do something about it on your own, it's like an arrow that's in there, and the more you try to snaggle with it, the more you're going to bleed. Leave it alone. Because you know what? When it comes to condemnation, there ain't nothing you can do about it anyways. Listen to this now. Follow me. And do not quote me out of context. The enemy would like it if you would try to now build your own breastplate of righteousness. He would like it if you would try to remedy this condemnation on your own effort. Look at you try to, if you try to solve this problem, this condemnation, you try to enter into the ball game, and, and, and the enemy is saying you're unrighteous, so now you try to do your own righteousness. It's not going to work. You're trying to build your own breastplate of righteousness, and no matter how good you make it, and some people are very good at making it, there's going to be some hole there. There's going to be some opening there. You maybe will have, in comparison to all other human-made shields, a very good, very polished, very sturdy, very hard shield. Man, maybe everyone in the world will be impressed. Look at that breastplate that Greg Boyd has got on. It shines and it is hard. But you know what? There's going to be some hole there. There's going to be some opening, some avenue, and the enemy is a pretty smart enemy. He knows where to shoot. And he'll find the opening. If you're trying to do it on your own, there's going to be some opening. 
you can maybe say, okay, to ward off this condemnation, I will now pray two hours a day. Fine. The enemy comes back and says, well, why didn't you uh, read the Bible two hours a day? So you read the Bible two hours a day, and then he says, why didn't you pray two hours a day? So you do both four hours a day, and then he says, what about that lustful thought last night? And what about the way you treated so-and-so? And what about this and what about that? And so here you, now you're on the defensive. You're constantly trying to pass. It's like a dam that's got all these holes in it. You're trying to, you know, stop the leaks. But he knows exactly where to shoot. You try to do it on your own, and it's a lost cause. The other thing is this, and this is the bigger one. And Holy Spirit makes this come alive to us. Because herein lies the key to freedom. It sounds condemning, but it's very freeing. The enemy knows a thing that's true that we got to know. And that is that, as I said before, we on our own cannot make ourselves compatible with God. God is a holy being. We sing it, holy, holy, holy Lord. He cannot compromise. We can compromise because we're sinners, but he cannot. And on our own, we are unable to climb a ladder that is high enough to get to him. We cannot put together layers of our own good works to reach him. For some of you, this is the ABCs, but hear it again. Let the Holy Spirit apply it in a new way to bring a new level of freedom in your life. We can't do it. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I like to picture it like this. We in our fallen condition are on one side of the Grand Canyon. God in his glory is on the other side of the Grand Canyon. And we've got to somehow get over there if we're going to live eternally with him. Now, some people are really good jumpers. I mean, they're like Carl Lewis. They got, you ever seen Carl Lewis's legs? He's this, man, mega thighs. Just, I don't know how the guy walks. He's got these thighs. And he can run, and he can jump. This guy set the world record at one point, 29 feet. He can, 29 feet, I can jump maybe nine. He jumps 29 feet. There are Mother Teresa's out there and, and, and whatever who can just really go far across that Grand Canyon, trying to cross the bridge between us and God. These people can run fast. They can jump far. They can jump maybe a mile, which doesn't do you a bit of good when it's two miles you got to cross. And whether you miss the other side by an inch or whether you miss it by a country mile, it doesn't make a bit of difference once gravity takes hold and you're on the way down. And you can feel pretty good about being a mega jumper, but you're going to be feeling good on the way down to the same place that all of us who only could jump a quarter of an inch or were too scared to even try. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In fact, the Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10, I believe it is. It says this. It says, Your righteousness is unto me as filthy rags. This is freeing, believe it or not, as filthy rags. And I'm going to have the, the, the tactlessness enough to tell you what the Bible actually says about that. The word that's used there for filthy rags is the word menstrual rags. It, it, it's the word they use for that. And to Jewish people, if you read the book of Leviticus, they had some kind of weird hang-ups about this issue here. We do too. That's why it's kind of awkward talking about it. But to the Jew, it's kind of like a disgusting thing to even talk about. And so what's going on here is the Lord is speaking in a way that, that the average Jew could understand back in Isaiah's day. And he's saying this. Don't think that climbing your ladder of do's and climbing your ladder of don'ts and climbing your ladder of self-righteousness with all your righteous deeds, don't think that you're trying to jump across the Grand Canyon impresses me very much, makes me want to love you a little bit more, makes me want to save you a little bit more. In fact, your pharisaical deeds, your little legalistic systems, your little attempts at self-righteousness, your little dance and pony shows before me to try to impress me, it's filthy rags to me. It's something that it doesn't even, far from impressing me, it's something disgusting in my sight. 
You can't, if you're climbing the ladder to get to heaven, if you're tripping across the Grand Canyon, you're going to fall short of the glory of God. So what do you do when you're under condemnation? Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the breast. Look at this. Lord, speak through us here. He doesn't say, make yourself a breastplate of righteousness. He assumes that the breastplate's already there. You just got to put it on. And what is this breastplate of righteousness? This is the core of the good news. This is what the gospel's about. This is the euangelion. This is the good news. You know how you know good news is good? It's good. That's how you know it. In fact, you know, that you know you're hearing the good news when it's better than you can possibly imagine. Because God's greater than you can possibly imagine. Whatever God does is better than you can possibly imagine. So if the good news is better than you can possibly imagine, if it doesn't make sense to you because it seems too good, now you know you got it. Anything else that sounds very human, very commonsensical, get rid of it, folks, because it's not of God. Here's the good news. It's unthinkable. It's ridiculous. It's astounding. It's the core of the whole thing. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Woo! God made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, the Lamb of God, the pure Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Holy, the Radiance, God Almighty, he, and I can't make sense of this, don't even ask me about it after the service. How's that possible? I don't know. And I went to school to learn that kind of stuff, and they never told me, so there. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we, he, to be sin for us. A shield, this is a, a new thing, a shield, it's not a new thing, but it's new to me. A shield is something that's there, the arrows hit the shield so they don't have to hit you, right? The shield's the buffer. It takes the heat so you don't have to. Jesus Christ took the heat so we don't have to. He became the cosmic absorption of sin. Oh, wow, that's a weird concept. He, on him was laid all the sin, all the damnation, all the condemnation of the world so that we, praise God, need never experience that condemnation. When we enter into a marriage with Jesus Christ, when we say yes to his gospel, when we say yes to the, his good news, our sin becomes his and his righteousness becomes ours. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Blessed is the man who does not work, doesn't try to jump across the Grand Canyon, doesn't even think about building a ladder, a babel up to heaven, doesn't think about that. Blessed is the man who does not work, but believes in God, who justifies the ungodly. What a crazy concept. That's your breastplate of righteousness. Taking Jesus Christ, the righteous, and robing yourself in it. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There has been no verse in my life that has meant more to me than that verse. Because you guys, if, if, this is, if that is not true, then I am a lost cause, and I know it. Because I've never been good at jumping a Grand Canyon. And I hope you know it too, that it's just as true about you. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. But to those who simply say yes, who cling to the cross, who commit their life, who marry Jesus Christ. You have, I hope this hits, the righteousness of God. It's the righteousness that comes from God, and it's the righteousness that characterizes God. The only thing that's compatible with God throughout eternity is God. Either you're robed in the righteousness of God, or you're not robed at all. Isaiah 64 says that he robed us in his righteousness. Romans chapter 5 talks about the righteousness that we have received from God, which is the righteousness of God. Here's the unthinkable, couldn't be better than this, unsurpassable good news. That when you believe, when you commit your life to Jesus Christ, when you accept what he did on the cross, you are made 
you are infused with God's own righteousness. You are infused not just with like an archangel. We're not talking like higher up being. We're not talking like some great... God's own righteousness. God's own holiness becomes yours. God's own character becomes yours. God's radiance becomes yours. You are loved, Ephesians 1 says. You are loved in the beloved. You are loved with the same love that characterizes God throughout eternity. God is unsurpassable love. You now are robed in that love. You're robed with his splendor. You're robed in his radiance. That's who you really are. Why? Because you're so good, because you can jump so far across the Grand Canyon? None of that. Because you cling to the cross, it's what God does for you that makes you you, not what you do for yourself. And that's where the freedom is in the gospel. That's the breastplate that Paul's talking about when he tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's not our own little song and pony show, our little deeds. It's the cross of Jesus Christ where you say, Lord, I could not do it on my own, but you have done it for me. I'm going to wear that. I put it on in the morning. And when the accusations are there, when the condemnation is there, you need to look to that, that breastplate and let it ward off what the enemy is doing. The enemy comes back and says, well, what about that pregnancy that no one knows about? Learn from it, repent of it, buried it under the blood of Jesus Christ, put on the robe of righteousness, and forget about it. Nothing you can do about it now anyways. What about the divorce? What about the thing you said? You know what? Your kid's so screwed up. Look what you said to your kid. You know, what about this? What about that? Learn from it. Repent of it. Let God's conviction be there. If God's conviction needs to be there, bear it under the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, leave those things which are behind and press on. Press on. Nothing you can do about that there. Let God take care of that. Now you move on and move on with freedom. Move on with victory. Know what Jesus Christ has done for you and wear it. Wear it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Team, come up here. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. I want to close with this. I got to get the team up here, otherwise, I never close. They force me to close. But here's the thing, you guys. You've got to put it on. The one thing we do is we've got to put it on. God does not... He gives us the clothing. You've got to wear it. Now, it's already true about you, but the thing is this. It doesn't do any good. And This could be so freeing, because I know that there are people here like me who have just had this pollutant in their life for so long, and you don't even realize how much joy and power and peace and victory it's keeping you from. It is a pollutant, man. It's like a, it's like a cigar lit up inside of a closet. It's just there. You know, you can't get away from it. It's just, ah, you're choking in it. But then you get used to it. It won't do any good to say, I wish the devil would leave me alone. Why does he attack me? Why does he accuse me? Why does he just leave me alone? The good news is that he's never going to leave you alone, folks. This is what he does for a living. The good news is that in Jesus, he's unemployed. Amen. He's unemployed. He's unemployed. But you've got to know it, and you've got to wear it. You've got to put it on. And so in the face of the accusations, you've got to just put on, be, renewed by, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul says in Ephesians 4, put on the new man, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians chapter 4. You've got to be aware of it. You've got to walk in that. You've got to live in that. You've got to wear it. You've got to take authority over this, this defeated enemy. Take authority. Rebuke him. Do what God does. In, I'm getting there, folks. Just hang on. In Zechariah chapter 3. Oh, I'm not going to preach on that, but read Zechariah chapter 3, you guys. Joshua's sitting up there in heaven, and, and Satan is there accusing him. 
He's the high priest. He's wearing filthy rags. And Satan is sitting there going, you got dirty rags on, man. You're filthy. You're grimy. You're blah, 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 blah. Yuck, yuck, yuck. And the Lord says, the Lord rebuke you. Put some clean clothes on that man. Read it, Zechariah chapter 3, beautiful thing. Robe him in righteousness, pure white. And then he says to the enemy, well, he doesn't say this, but this is my reading anyway. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> the enemy has nothing more to say. If you know who you are, and you walk in a clothing that God's purchased for you, and the Lord rebukes the enemy, and he's got nothing more on you. Why? Because you're so righteous, so holy, so great, got it all together, da-da-da-da, not a bit. Because you put your trust in Jesus Christ. It's all by God's grace. 